We come now, brethren, to the preaching of God's Word. I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to Psalm 133, Psalm 133. I invite you to read along silently as I read aloud this morning, Psalm 133. Here the psalmist declares, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your kindness again to us this morning. We ask now that you'll bless us as we come to the preaching of your word. And we ask for the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit this morning especially. That he as the sovereign spirit and as our teacher would guide us in our consideration of this passage this morning. And grant us insight into its meaning and help us to understand how vitally important it is and how we should apply it in our own lives as a congregation and as individuals who've been called to serve you. So bless us now, guide us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Brethren, on this last Sunday of 2023 and during this break in our series in the book of Hebrews, I want to speak on a subject that I trust will promote our happiness and well-being as a congregation, and that is the subject of unity. And in particular, I want to speak on the blessings of genuine unity. The blessings of genuine unity, for this is a subject of vital importance. And one that is so important that God in his great wisdom inspired the psalmist David to devote an entire psalm to this subject. Psalm 133, which I just read in your hearing. And what is really significant about this psalm is that its purpose is to encourage God's people to value unity. To value unity by stressing its preciousness and its positive effects. Its preciousness and its positive effects. Or to put it another way, this psalm does not contain any threatenings or severe warnings about what can happen if unity is absent or neglected among the people, but it seeks to motivate us in a positive way. For it sets before us what is truly desirable about unity so that we will truly want to have it within our congregations. And then it describes 
the positive effects of genuine unity in such a marvelous and desirable way that we'll be convinced, I trust, by the end of this psalm that we can't do without it. We simply must have it now. And of course, this is the kind of desire that you and I should have as a congregation that is concerned about the glory of God and about the health and spiritual welfare of our church body. And so let's consider Psalm 133 together and let's begin with what David says about the preciousness of genuine unity, the preciousness or we could even say the precious blessings of unity. Notice verse 1. Here the psalmist David writes, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And it's clear that David wants us to see the preciousness of unity by his use of this first word here in verse 1, Behold. Behold, or we could even translate this, look intently. For when David exhorts us to behold here, he's urging us to, to look and to focus on something that is truly lovely. Something that is truly remarkable. Something that is beautiful. Something that in many ways is quite rare something that should be highly sought after, something that should be prized by God's people. And that is the kind of unity that keeps brothers dwelling together. It keeps them coming back to fellowship with one another. It blesses them when they're united together, when they're assembled together. And of course, when he speaks of brothers dwelling together. He is speaking of them dwelling together, not in the sense of merely tolerating one another, but in the sense of being joined together in one spirit and with one heart and one mind, worshiping together. And the preciousness of this kind of unity is defined by the psalmist David here in terms of its goodness and its Pleasantness. Notice the words here. Behold how good and pleasant it is. And of course the fact that it is both good and pleasant is very significant. And I want you to think about this with me. Because there are some things in life and in the life of a church that can be good but not very pleasant and there can be some things that seem for the moment to be very pleasant and yet which are in reality not very good in the long run. But in the case of genuine unity, as David describes it here, it is absolutely nothing but good and pleasant. There is nothing bad or unpleasant about it at all. It's all good and all pleasant all the time. Let's consider how each description applies very briefly. First, genuine unity is good. It's good. And how so? Well, 
first and foremost, it is good in that God is glorified when his people are joined together in genuine unity. For God is the author. God is the source of unity wherever it truly exists. In fact, we read from Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 33 that God is not the author of confusion, which is the result of disunity or of strife, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. And therefore, when God's people are joined together in genuine unity, they openly acknowledge him supremely as as the God of peace. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 11. And they show a willingness to submit to his biblical order or his biblical rule. Then secondly, genuine unity is good with respect to our spiritual good, which it promotes among us. For where there is genuine unity, there is a sincere and true concern for the good and the welfare of others. For a united congregation is a caring congregation. A united congregation is a loving congregation. A united congregation is one that is deeply committed to doing good as it has opportunity, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Galatians 5 and verse 10. And when this happens, the doing and receiving of good between others is openly fostered. Then thirdly, genuine unity is good because of the testimony that it communicates within and beyond the congregation. For when believers within a congregation dwell in unity, it testifies to the seriousness by which they take Christ's command to love one another as I have loved you, John 15 and verse 2. And with respect to those outside the congregation, our unity as believers communicates to them that we are indeed one in Jesus Christ and that we stand united behind the truth of the gospel. For it is good when unbelievers see believers dwelling together in unity. It is a good thing. In fact, even unbelievers know through common grace that there is something wrong if God's people are fractured and living in disharmony. For genuine unity is an essential good if our congregation, if our words are to be taken seriously. Then with respect to the pleasantness of genuine unity. I should say a few words as well. For first, we should note that this description goes beyond good. So good and pleasant here are not equals. One Bible commentator on Psalm 133 has made this statement. When we say or see something that is being pleasant, we see it not only as good, but as something we greatly desire, something that we would willingly and eagerly sacrifice for. 
And those who have experienced genuine unity would certainly agree that it is worth sacrificing for. And especially when one ponders the utter unpleasantness that comes with the absence of genuine unity among brothers. In fact, David, who wrote this 133rd Psalm, was well-versed with the unpleasantness of discord and disharmony among God's people. For David, despite being a believer and a great leader that he was, saw much disunity among God's people during his lifetime. And in the latter years of his reign, they were marked with terrible divisions and even by civil war. And yet there were times when David had memorable experiences with the pleasantness of genuine unity. There was that time at his coronation as king recorded for us in 1 Samuel chapter 5 and 1 Chronicles chapter 12 when the leaders of the nation were for a time at least of one heart and one mind and there were signs of unity present. And of course there were those times when the children of Israel would assemble for the Jewish feast days. For brief, precious periods of time, the people would gather as one body, as one organism, with one mind to honor the Lord. And no doubt those were some of the most pleasant times, the most memorable times in David's tenure as king. May I further suggest that this psalm, at least the first verse of it, is King David reflecting back on those wonderful experiences, on the pleasantness of those occasions when the whole nation, when all the brothers dwelt together in unity, when nothing divided them, when nothing distracted them in their unified devotion to God. And may I suggest even further this morning that these same principles hold true in church life as well. For there is nothing that is more desirable. There is nothing that should be sought after more with respect to our life together under God and with one another than genuine unity operating and prevailing within our congregations. For it is truly good. It is truly pleasant in all the ways I just explained and, and much more. And yet, in all honesty, brethren, it has been my observation through years of church life and ministry that unity is a very fragile thing. Unity is something that can be quickly forfeited if we're not careful. In fact, Someone has said, like the best and most valuable things in life, unity in the church is often not fully appreciated until we are in jeopardy of losing it or we begin to sense its absence. I think that every church can greatly benefit from reflecting more often on 
how good and pleasant Christian unity, genuine unity really is. It's not a trivial matter, and we shouldn't put a trivial meaning to these words good and pleasant. Unity is not good and pleasant in the way that a candy bar is good and pleasant. Rather, it's good and pleasant in the eyes of God, primarily. For this reason, it should be a priority to seek and to experience its power and its work should be our desire to see it prevail. For again, the goal according to this verse, Psalm 133 and verse 1, is for brothers to dwell together in unity. For while one might be tempted to think that this should come easily, it does not. For there must first be a sincere and honest recognition of how precious and costly genuine unity is. And then secondly, we must be convinced that we need to know and experience its effects among us. We need to know and experience its effects among us. And what are the blessed effects of genuine unity? What are they? Well, the psalmist David uses here in the rest of this psalm Two striking images, two striking images to communicate to us the full effects of what genuine unity is like in the life of God's people. I want us to consider briefly these effects and these images. The first images, the first image is that of abundant oil being poured. Abundant oil being poured in verse 2. And then the second image is that of refreshing dew falling down. Refreshing dew falling down, verse 3. And before we consider these images in greater detail, I think it's significant that with both images, we see something very important. Notice with both images, we see something originating from above and then coming down upon its recipients. Originating from above and coming down on its recipients. And certainly, we would not be taking any unwarranted and unnecessary liberties with the biblical text to point out that something is being communicated here about where genuine unity actually comes from or where it originates from. It comes from God above. Genuine unity is heaven sent. And of course, this is consistent with what we know from the New Testament as well. For the New Testament makes it clear to us that Genuine unity is actually the sovereign work of the Spirit. The sovereign work of the Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 22, for example, Paul speaks of believers being built together into a dwelling place for God by who? By the Spirit. 
Later in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6, Paul speaks of believers endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, since there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And so the Spirit is the one who unifies us. The Spirit is the one who grants us unity for Christ's sake. And I ask you, is it merely a coincidence as well that the images that are used here in Psalm 133, those of oil and water, are also scriptural images for the Spirit? Are they not? oil and water. There is clearly something being communicated here about unity as a work that comes down from God and as a work that has positive effects upon God's people. And so let's consider the image of abundant oil being poured. That's in verse 2. Abundant oil being poured. For David, in addressing the positive effects of unity, describes its effects as follows. Notice verse 2. It is like the precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. And so here David speaks of precious oil, oil that was highly prized for its mixture, oil that was highly prized and valued for its fragrance. All scholars agree that the purpose of this oil being poured and running down on the beard and on the head was the anointing or for the anointing of a man for the service of God, for the service of God's people. It was a special act of dedication and consecration. You'll recall that in ancient Israel, kings and high priests were anointed for their offices by the pouring of precious oil upon their head. For example, in the case of the high priest of Israel, very specific instructions were given to the children of Israel as to what kind of anointing oil was to be used and how it was to be applied. In fact, I don't often do this, but turn, if you would please, in the Old Testament to Exodus chapter 30. Exodus chapter 30, and I want to read verses 22 and 25, and then we'll, we'll skip down and read a couple of other verses because I, I want you to see the significance of this. Exodus chapter 30, beginning in verse 22, we read moreover, The Lord said to Moses, Take the finest spices of liquid mirth, 500 shekels, and of the sweet-smelling cinnamon, half as much, that is 250, and 250 of aromatic cane, and 500 of cassia according to the shekel of the sanctuary and a hen of olive oil and you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil blended as by the perfumer why by the perfumer suggests it also has some kind of 
wonderful odor or fragrance to it, doesn't it? It shall be a holy anointing oil. Then look down at Exodus 30, saying in the same chapter, verses 30 through 33. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. You shall say to the people of Israel, this shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person and you shall make no other like it in composition. It is holy and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it or whoever puts it, puts any of it on an outsider shall be cut off from his people. No doubt this is the religious setting for what the psalmist David is speaking about here in verse 2 of Psalm 133. For when David says here that genuine unity is like the precious oil running down the head, he is thinking about the holy anointing oil that was made for the specific purpose of consecration to God. And when David calls this oil precious, he is no doubt thinking of this unique compound of spices and fragrances that went into making the holy oil according to God's own instruction and how this holy oil was to be recognized as holy unto the Lord. And those who misused this oil would actually be cut off from the people of God. Think about that. That's how precious it was. That's how costly it was. Because this oil was not to be poured upon the body in ordinary use. But it was to be poured upon the head of those men that God had set apart for his own service. And in similar ways, genuine unity is a unique work of God, which must be recognized as holy, which cannot be brought about by ordinary means, and which joins God's people together as a fragrant and consecrated mixture of redeemed people, all of whom have received God's anointing which God gives to every true Christian. Does not the Apostle John say in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 20, but you, speaking to all Christians, have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Surely there's a sense in which all believers share in the anointing of God as what? as special priests of God. But again, as far as this text is concerned, David is speaking of genuine unity and how it operates like that precious oil poured on the head which run down to the beard. And notice, it runs down, and not just on the head, but David says, and describes it here in verse 2, as running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron. What's the significance of this statement? Well, this reference to the running down upon the beard 
I think, speaks of the abundance of the oil used in the anointing. For the top of the head was not merely sprinkled with drops of oil, but enough oil was poured upon the head that it poured down upon the man's beard also. So I want you to think about this, just kind of get a visual image in your mind what's happening here as this very precious, costly oil is being poured, not just on the head, but it's running down on the beard as well. And it's speaking here of abundance. And I would suggest to you that such is the abundance of God's work in the life of the man being anointed. And such is the extravagance of God's grace that is poured upon the head and beyond of true believers in Jesus Christ. But what's most significant here is this reference to Aaron. Don't miss this. This reference to Aaron. Why was he the source of rejoicing for the people? Remember, they're rejoicing in particular that this oil is running down Aaron's head. This oil is running down Aaron's beard and We'll even talk about the fact that it's running down on his collar as well. Why is he a source of joy? What, what does he have to do with the subject of unity, which is the theme of this 133rd Psalm? Well, no doubt Aaron was important because who is he? He's the high priest of Israel. And as the high priest, Aaron was the key figure in the religious life of Israel. In fact, even more so than the kings of Israel, which is why I suggest to you that David mentions Aaron's anointing here rather than his own anointing. David, who's writing this psalm, could have easily referred to his anointing. He was anointed as a king, right? But even more important that, than David's anointing as a king was Aaron's anointing. Because Aaron, as the high priest, represented Israel on the Day of Atonement. He made atonement on behalf of the people. He became the primary symbol of Israel's national religious unity. All the people were gathered together religiously around and in Aaron. All the children of Israel were religiously represented and united in the high priest all the blessings that God bestowed upon the people, in a sense, flowed down from Aaron as the high priest of God. And so when David rejoiced here in the fact that the oil flowed down on Aaron's beard, and notice I said this also, that it even ran down on the collar of his, his robes. What robes? His priestly robes. David's acknowledging that the blessings that came on Aaron in his anointing were also the blessings that flowed down on the people of God that Aaron represented. For the children of Israel were united to their spiritual leader, and as long as they were united together behind the high priest, they enjoyed the spiritual blessings that flowed down from his ministry onto them. And of course, we as Christians today are not united with a earthly high priest in the way or in the manner 
that the children of Israel were with Aaron, but you and I, as you know from the book of Hebrews, I've made this point repeatedly. Brother Kevin made this point most recently. You and I have a, a better priest, a heavenly high priest in Jesus. And you know what? We are blessed through his anointing. And through his unceasing work as a high priest on our behalf. For Jesus was anointed with the precious oil of the Holy Spirit in his office as our high priest and the blessings of his anointing. And by the way, he was anointed with the Holy Spirit without measure, without measure. The blessings of our Lord's anointing did not rest exclusively on him, but they flowed down, as it were, upon his spiritual body even down to the least and lowest member of his body, so that we who are spiritually united, united with Jesus are also blessed without measure. His anointing resulted in our being blessed and with our being united through him. And thus there is a sense in which we say that we now enjoy an even greater unity by following our greater high priest, Jesus Christ, than the one David describes here as Aaron in verse 2 of Psalm 133. For the unity that we enjoy in and through Jesus Christ is made possible through the heavenly oil of the Holy Spirit, which was first poured down upon Jesus and then later poured down upon us when we were united with Christ through our baptism by the Spirit into his one body. And since we are in his one body, we, we should live also in genuine spiritual unity as a, a show of our gratitude for the spiritual anointing that we have received. For the first image that David used here in Psalm 133 to describe the effects of genuine unity on us is that of abundant oil being poured out. Think of this. Think of this. Picture this in your mind, the anointing of Aaron and how the people rejoiced. Think about how we should rejoice even more, knowing that Jesus Christ has been anointed without measure by the Spirit, and that anointing flows down to us, his people. Then the second image used, and this is an exciting image, is refreshing dew falling down. Refreshing dew falling down. Notice verse 3. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. And so here David speaks of dew. It's a, a form of moisture, as you know, falling down from the sky. And what's so significant about dew, especially as it falls in geographical regions that are very dry and there's not a lot of rainfall, is that it cools and refreshes. I could mention the fact that it also falls daily, but I'll just skip over that right now. There's so much we could say about this. For this reason, it is clearly a fitting image for the profound effects of genuine unity. For where the Holy Spirit produces genuine unity among brothers, Dwelling together, there is a corresponding 
refreshment and reinvigoration of all graces evident and operating among the people under his power. In fact, one Bible commentator writes, just as heavy dew refreshes and reinvigorates plant life, so the blessing of unity descends on those who are within a church, and there godly virtues thrive and flourish, whereas discord, on the other hand, disrupts and destroys all the finer things that grow under the blessings of true unity. And so the heavenly dew of unity, which falls upon a people, enriches them, it invigorates them. And for this reason, it should be prayed for. It should be sought after. And once experienced by the members of a church, it should be greatly treasured and diligently maintained at all costs. Notice also here in our text, verse 3 of Psalm 133, that David speaks of the blessings of this heavenly dew when it falls, as well as the exact location where the falling of this dew from heaven is greatly to be desired. So it's not just to be desired because it falls and refreshes and invigorates, but it's also be, to be desired in specific locations. And he's not hesitant to mention locations here in this passage. First, with respect to its abundance, however, David states here that this heavenly dew, genuine unity, is like the dew of Hermon. Like the dew of Hermon. And this is undoubtedly a reference to Mount Hermon, which is the highest mountain in Israel, situated several hundred miles north of Jerusalem. And what is so very remarkable and so well known about the dew which falls on Mount Hermon is its abundance. For the dew that falls there is very heavy indeed. And it saturates the ground and plant life. And of course there is something that is being said here about its all-pervading influence. For when it falls, it affects all, it covers all. For like a heavenly dew that has been saturated a mountaintop, unity also can be seen and felt by all. And yet David insists here in verse 3 that this heavenly dew and genuine unity as well is most gloriously seen and felt when it is descending upon the mountains of Zion. Again, follow this image, follow this geography. The mountains of Zion are not as high as Mount Hermon. The mountains of Zion are, are desert mountains, but they are far more significant to the worship and religious life of the people. It was to the mountains of Zion, to Mount Zion, Jerusalem in particular, that the people of God were to assemble for what? To assemble for worship. For there they were to worship together as one consecrated and united people, serving the one true God. In fact, it should not surprise us in reading this psalm on genuine unity to find David ending here with a reference to God's appointed place of worship. The appointed place of worship. For it is God's appointed place 
of worship. It is in God's appointed place of worship. In the Old Testament, the temple. In the New Testament, the local church. That our unity should be most evident. Most evident. The local church is not to be a place of occasional downpourings of unity. But rather it should be as consistent as dew falling heavenly and heavily upon the mountains. Notice that David states here in verse 3, for there, there referring to what? In the desert mountains of Zion, in God's appointed place of worship, the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. And this is a very remarkable statement for considered in the context of this psalm, which again, the context is a genuine unity. David is stating that God himself has issued a positive command that wherever his worshiping people make spiritual unity a priority, they shall have and experience the blessings of it. For those who live in peace shall know the blessings of the God of peace. Notice further in verse 3 of this psalm, Psalm 133, that the blessing extends fully to life forevermore. What does this mean? That those who experience the blessings of genuine unity, which ultimately flow from a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, will also know the greatest of blessings, life forevermore. In fact, I trust that you've heard this before, but it bears repeating. The unity that we experience through the Holy Spirit today is just a foretaste of the life to come. It is just a foretaste of the life we will experience in heaven with God and with one another. And of course, in saying this, I must also stress that the opposite is true. Those who know nothing of unity with Christ through the spirit and salvation will know nothing of the abiding life that God has already prepared for his righteous servants in heaven. So if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, please know that you can know nothing about the goodness and pleasantness of genuine unity until you come to Jesus Christ for salvation. And may God grant you repentance and faith to respond today. And for those of us who know Christ and who have experienced for ourselves what David describes here in Psalm 133 as the goodness and pleasantness of unity, may we continue to long for and eagerly pursue genuine unity among us. For continued unity can be ours if we continue to submit to our head the Lord Jesus Christ. If we continue to yield to the leading of the Spirit who now indwells us and urges us to be united in him. Oh, brethren, to use the metaphorical language that David uses here in Psalm 133, may the holy oil of the Spirit, which anointed Aaron and the greater priest, the Lord Jesus, run down on us. As God's people, may it give us a a greater sense of our unity with Christ and with one another. May the dew of heaven fall down in great quantities upon the mountaintop of this church where we long 
to worship God, and especially on this place where we worship, which is called the new Mount Zion of God. May we see as a local church the blessings that God has commanded, genuine unity among us. For as I stated earlier while talking about the real effects of dew falling down, genuine unity can refresh us and invigorate us spiritually. This is what we need, refreshing and invigorating help from God. We need to seek unity within the place appointed for it, and that is in the church and among God's people. However, brethren, before we close, let me offer three final applications for you to consider as a body in keeping with the the very positive tone of this 133rd Psalm. And I will make these applications positive as well. In fact, from my first point of application, I simply want to urge us this morning to be genuinely thankful for the unity that God has already given us. Whatever that may be, however that may look, for whatever we have in terms of unity is truly a gift from God. In fact, the oneness and kinship that we feel for one another is not our doing. And yet we thought it was, right? We thought we were responsible for the spirit that we enjoy. No, it's not our doing. It's not the product of our making. It's not a matter of creating the right atmosphere. It's not a matter of following the right formula. It's not a matter of sticking to a certain liturgy or a specific style of worship. In fact, I would suggest to you that many have this very, very wrong, trying to manufacture some kind of environment, trying to manufacture unity. Unity is a gift from God. Only he can create it. Unity has been purchased for us by our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, and applied to us by the Holy Spirit. And I hope and remember I am endeavoring to encourage myself here as well that we never take unity for granted, but that every single Lord's Day that we gather, we remember that Jesus Christ is the one who brings us together. Jesus Christ is the one who purchased us, and that the true purpose behind our unity, if any exists whatsoever, is to bring him the glory. And so just as David's thoughts when he thought about unity went to the joy that the people experienced in seeing Aaron, may our thoughts migrate to our high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. I feel positive that if we will, God will be pleased to continue to give us unity, both good and pleasant things to enjoy, and that our unity will thrive as long as Jesus Christ is at the very center of our thoughts and our actions. And along these same lines, pray that we will always be united in our worship especially. In fact, I've already pointed out through this exposition how many references there are to aspects of worship. In fact, I, I failed to mention this earlier. Mark does a really good job as he goes through the Psalms on Wednesday of reminding us of this. But this, this Psalm was actually intended to prepare the Jews for worship. 
This psalm was intended to be used for worship. It's a part of the Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Ascent are Psalms 120 through 134. So this is at the tail end of the Songs of Ascent. These are the songs that scholars believe were sung by the Jewish pilgrims as they ascended up the road to Jerusalem to worship. And they would ascend up the road to Jerusalem to worship on the three major Jewish feast day, the Passover, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Booths. As the people would ascend up the road and sing these psalms together, this would be near the end. So when they're thinking, they're thinking that unity is a product, a result of all that they've been singing about. Unity is what they desire. No doubt it's highly instructive to us that there would be a psalm about the blessings of unity in this group of psalms. It shows that the Jews not only saw corporate worship as an expression of their unity, but as something they could contribute to worship, as something that God would have them to think about and pray about and sing about. This brings me to my final positive word of application this morning. That is, let us continue to obey the imperatives and commands in the New Testament to pursue unity. There are many imperatives to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace at any cost. For these commands make it clear that if we have a responsibility towards the maintenance of unity that God gives us and that unity does not happen, although God creates it, still unity does not happen without effort. And since I've already stressed the importance of keeping our focus on Jesus and how that affects our unity, let me just devote a last moment here to the importance of maintaining practical unity with one another as a body of believers. There should be a true sense, brethren, in which you and I can look at our brothers and sisters here today in church and say, it is good and pleasant to be with you. It is good and pleasant to be here worshiping with you. I'm not talking this morning about situations where that might not be in our thinking, but if we are struggling with maintaining unity among us, let me assure us that unity is worth the effort to pursue it. For it is such a blessing to enjoy the felt sense of spiritual unity with our brothers and sisters. It's so refreshing to come to the worship of God with the saints of God and to be ministered to by the same spirit who baptized us into the body of Christ. And yet, practically speaking, we must maintain the right attitudes to produce and promote unity. We must make sure that we're not doing anything to hinder it. So let me just read a few words from the Apostle Paul before I close. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, Therefore, if there be any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. 
Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And brethren, if we will do this, we can expect God's blessing. If we will do this, we can look forward to growing in grace together. May God use what we've considered this morning in this last sermon of 2023 about the blessedness of unity for the good of our congregation. May we be truly thankful as a people for the Christian truths and the spiritual ties that bind us together as a family in genuine Christian love. May God give us unity. To God be all the glory. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for this precious gift of unity. We understand how good and pleasant it is, and we desire it. But we should also understand how truly fragile it is, how we must preserve it and work to maintain it and seek to promote it. And Father, if we have not been doing that as a congregation, we've not been doing that as individuals, I pray you would forgive us and instill within us this morning a desire to rectify that wrong, to do all that we can to promote this glorious and wonderful blessing that you provide. Thank you for the unity that we've enjoyed in this past year. Thank you for the unity that has encouraged us, for the sweet times of fellowship that we've had. I think of so many of our worship services. I think of our men's meetings that have greatly refreshed the souls of many of our men. I think of other times in prayer on Wednesday nights where there's been a strong sense of our oneness and unity together. Can't put a price on these experiences. They are so important and so precious. May we have many more of them. May you bless us and unite us as a congregation. May we do all that we can to encourage its spread and growth among us. So bless us this morning. Help us to look to our great high priest who was anointed for us and whose anointing flows down to us. We also pray for anyone who's here this morning who's outside of Christ, that they would see that they can never experience what we've been talking about today unless they are one with the Lord Jesus Christ and have experienced salvation through him, through saving faith. Thank you, Father, for this time together. Continue to bless us. Give us your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.